0: hi guys today we we will be reading chapter three of the hobbit um and i just want to say i'm so sorry for not um posting for a long while my family all came down with flu for like a really long time and like it was super bad but i'm glad to be back and i will promise to post per- as much as i can during my thanksgiving break which is week. Alright. And also I'm working on my pronunciation and please leave a comment if I misdid anything, please. Alright, let's start. Chapter three of the Hobbit A Short Rest. Just alright. They did not sing or tell stories that day. Even though the weather improved, nor the next day, nor the day after. They had begun to feel that danger was not far away on either side. They camped under the stars, and their horses had more to eat than they had, for there was plenty of grass, but there was not much in their bags, even with what they had got from the trolls. One morning they forded a river at a wide, shallow place, full of the noise of stones and foam. The far bank was steep and slippery. When they got to the top of it, leading their ponies, they saw that the great mountains had marched down very near to the feet of the nearest. Already it on- they only seemed a day's easy journey from them. Dark and drear it looked, though there were patches of sunlight on its brown sides, and behind its shoulders the tips of snow peaks gleamed. Is that THE mountain? asked Bilbo in a solemn voice. Looking at it with round eyes, he had never seen a thing which looked so big before. "'Of course not,' said Balin. "'That is only the beginning of the Misty Mountains, "'and we have got to get through or over or under those somehow "'before we can come into the Wilderland beyond. "'And it is a deal of the way even from the other side of them "'to the lonely mountain in the east where Smaug lies on our treasure.'" Oh, said Bilbo, and just at that moment he felt more tired than he ever remembered feeling before. He was thinking once again of his comfortable chair before the fire in his favorite sitting room in his hobbit hole, and of the kettle singing. Not for the last time. Now Gandalf led the way. We must not miss the road or we shall be done for, he said. We need food for one thing and rest in reasonable safety also it was very necessary to tackle the misty mountains by the proper path or else you will get lost in them and have to come back and start at the beginning again if you ever get back at all they asked him where where he was making for and he answered you are come to the very edge of the wild as some of you may know hidden somewhere ahead of us is the fair valley of rivendell Where Elrond lives in the last homely house. I sent a message by my friends and we are expected. That sounded nice and comforting but they had not got yet got there yet and it was not so easy as it sounds to find the last homely house west of the mountains. There seemed to be no trees and no valleys and no hills to break the ground in front of them. Only one vast slope going slowly up and up and up to meet the feet of the nearest mountain, a wide land the color of heather and crumbling rock, with patches and slashes of grass green and moss green showing where water might be. Morning passed, afternoon came, but in all the silent waste there was no sign of any dwelling. They were growing anxious, for they now saw that the house might be hidden anywhere between them and the mountains. They came on unexpected valleys, narrow with steep sides that opened suddenly at their feet, and they looked down surprised to see trees below them and running water at the bottom. There were gullies that they could almost leap over, but very deep with waterfalls in them. There were deep ravines that no one could either jump over or climb into. There were bogs, some of the green, pleasant places to look at, but with flowers flowers growing bright and tall, but a pony that walked there with a pack on its back would never have come out again. Indeed, it was a much wider land from the ford to the mountains than ever you would have guessed. Bilbo was astonished. The only path was marked with white stones, some of which were small, And others were half covered with moss or heather. Altogether, it was a very slow business following the track, even guided by Gandalf, who seemed to know his way about pretty well. His head and beard wagged this way and that as he looked for the stones, and they followed his lead, but they seemed no nearer to the end of the search when the day began to fail, tea time had long gone by and it seemed supper time would soon do the same there were moths fluttering about and the light became very dim for the moon had not yet risen Risen. bilbo's pony began to stumble over roots and stones they came to the edge of a steep fall in the ground so suddenly that gandalf's horse nearly slipped down the slope here it is at last he called and the others gathered round him and looked over the edge. They saw a valley far below. They could hear the voice of hurrying water in a rocky bed at the bottom. The scent of trees was in the air, and there was a light on the valley side across the water. Bilbo never forgot the way they slithered and slipped in the dusk down the steep zigzag path into the secret valley of Rivendell. The air grew warmer as they got lower and the smell of the pine trees made him drowsy so that every now and again he nodded and nearly fell off or bumped his nose on the pony's neck their spirits rose as they went down and down the trees changed from to beech and oak and there was a comfortable feeling in the twilight the last green had almost faded out of the grass when at last they came at length to an open glade not far above the banks of the stream Hmm, it smells like elves, thought Bilbo, and he looked up at the stars. They were burning bright and blue. Just then there came a burst of song like laughter in the trees. Oh, what are you doing, and where are you going? Your ponies need shoeing, the river is flowing. Oh, tra la la lally, here down in the valley. Oh, what are you seeking, and where are you making? The faggots are reeking, the pa- bannocks are baking. Oh, trill, lolly, the valley is jolly, ha ha. Oh, where are you going, with beards all a wagging? No knowing, no knowing, what brings Mister Baggins and Balin and Dwalin down into the valley in June, ha ha. Oh, will you be staying, or will you be flying? Your ponies are straying, the daylight is dying. To fly would be folly, to stay would be jolly, and listen and hark till the end of the dark, to our tune, ha So they laughed and sang in trees, and pretty fair nonsense, I dare say you'd think it. Not that they would care, they would only laugh all the more if you told them so. They were elves, of course. Soon Bilbo caught glimpses of them as the darkness deepened. He loved elves, though he seldom met them, but he was a little frightened of them too. Dwarves don't get on well with them. Even decent enough dwarves like Thorn and his friends think them foolish, which is a very foolish thing to think, and get annoyed with them. For some elves tease them and laugh at them, and most of all at their beards well well said a voice just look bilbo the bat hobbit on a pony my dear isn't it delicious then off they went into another song as ridiculous as the one i've written down in full at last one a t- tall young fellow came out from the trees and bowed to gandalf and to thorne welcome to the valley he said thank you said thorne a bit gruffly. But Gandalf was already off his horse and among the elves, talking merrily with them. (laughs) Sorry. (sighs) You are a little out of your way, said the elf. That is, if you are making for the only path across the water and to the house beyond. We will set you right, but you would best get on foot until you are over the bridge. Are you going to stay a bit and sing with us, or will you go straight on? Supper is preparing over there, he said. I can smell the wood fires for the cooking. Tired as he was, Bilbo would have liked to stay a while. Elvish singing is not a thing to miss in June under the stars, not if you care for such things. Also, he would have liked to have a few private words with these people that seemed to know his names and all about him, although he'd never seen them before. He thought their opinion of his adventure might be interesting. Elves know a lot and are wondrous folk for news and know what is going on among the peoples of the land as quick as water flows or quicker. But the dwarves were all for supper as soon as possible just then and would not stay. On they all went, leading their ponies until they were brought to a good path so, and so at last to the very brink of the river. It was flowing fast and noisily as mountain streams do, of a summer evening, when sun has been all day on the snow far above. There was only a narrow bridge of stone without a parapet, as narrow as a pony could well walk on, and over that they had to go, slow and careful, one by one, each leading his pony by the bridle. The elves had brought bright lanterns to the shore, and they sang a merry song as the party went across. "'Don't dip your beard in the foam, father,' they called to Thorn, who was bent almost up to his knees, hands and knees, "'is long enough without watering it.'" "'Mind Bilbo doesn't eat all the cakes,' they called. "'He is too fat to get through keyholes there.'" "'Hush, hush, good people, and good night,' said Gandalf, who came last. "'Valleys have ears, and some elves have over-merry tongues. Good night.'" So and so at last they all came to the last homely house and found its doors flung wide. Now it is a strange thing, but things that are good to have and days that are good to spend are wait now it's a strange thing, but things that are good to have and days that are good to spend are soon told about, and not much to listen to, while things that are uncomfortable, palpitating, even gruesome may make a good tale and take a deal of telling anyway. They stayed long in that good house, fourteen days at least, and they found it hard to leave. Bilbo would gladly have stopped there for ever and ever, even supposing a wish would have taken, taken him right back to his hobbit hole without trouble. Yet there is little to say about, there's little to tell about their stay. The master of the house was an elf friend, one of those people whose fathers came into the strange stories before the beginning of history, the wars of the evil goblins and the elves and the first men in the north. In those days of our tale, there were still some people who had both elves and he- heard of both elves and heroes of the north for ancestors, and Elrond, the master of the house, was their chief. He was as noble and as fair in, the f- in face as an elf lord, as strong as a warrior, as wise as a wizard, as venerable as a king of doors, and as kind as summer. He comes into many tales, but his part in the story of Bilbo's great adventure is only a small one, though important, as you will see, if we ever get to the end of it. His house was perfect. Whether you liked food, or sleep, or work, or storytelling, or singing, or just sitting and thinking best, or a pleasant mixture of them all. Evil things did not come into that valley. I wish I had time to tell you even a few of the tales or one or two of the songs that they heard in that house. All of them, the ponies as well, grew refreshed and strong in a few days there. Their clothes were mended as well as their bruises their tempers, and their hopes. Their bags were filled with food and provisions light to carry, but strong to bring them over the mountain passes. Their plans were improved with the best advice. So the time came to Midsummer's Eve, and they were ready to go on with the early sun on Midsummer's morning. Elwand knew all about runes of every kind. That day he looked at the swords they had brought from the troll's lair. He said, These are not troll made the- They are old swords, very old swords, in the high elves of the west, my kin. They were made in Gondolin for the goblin wars. They must have come from the dragon's horde or goblin plunder, for dragons and goblins destroyed that city many ages ago. This thorn, the rune's name Orchrist, the goblin cleaver in the ancient tongue of gondolin it was a famous blade this gandalf was glandering foe hammer that the king of gondolin wants more keep them well once did the trolls get them i wonder said thorn looking at his new sword with new interest i could not say said elrond "'but one may guess that your trolls had plundered other plunderers "'or come on the remnants of old robberies in some hold in the mountains. "'I've heard that there are still forgotten treasures of old "'to be found in the deserted caverns of the mines of Moria "'since the Dwarf and Goblin War.'" Thorn pondered these words. "'I will keep this this sword in honor,' he said." may it soon cleave goblins once again a wish that is likely to be granted soon enough in the mountains said Elrond. but show me now your map he took it and gazed long at it and he shook his head for if he did not altogether approve of dwarves and their love of gold he hated dragons and their cruel wickedness and he grieved He grieved to remember the ruin of the town of Dale, and its merry bells, and the burned banks of the bright river running. The moon was shining in a broad silver crescent. He held up the map, and the white light shone through it. What is this? He said. There are moon letters here, beside the plain moons which say five feet high the door and three may walk abreast what are moon letters asked the hobbit full of excitement he loved maps as i have told you before and he also liked runes and letters and cunning handwriting though when he wrote himself it was a bit thin and spidery moon letters are rune letters but you cannot see them said elrond not when you look straight at them they can only be seen when the moon shines behind them and what is more with the more cunning sort, it must be a moon of the same shape and season as the day when they were written. The dwarves invented them, and wrote them with silver pens, as your friends could tell you. There must have been, these must have been written on a Midsummer's Eve, in a crescent moon, a long time ago. "'What do they say?' asked Gandalf and Thorne, together a bit vexed, perhaps, that even Elrond should have found this out first. Though really there had not been a chance before, and there not would, and there would not have been another until goodness knows when. Stand by the grey stone when the thrush knocks. Read, Al- 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 read Elrond, and the setting sun with the last light of Dorn's day will shine upon the keyhole. Doran, Doran, said, Thorn. He was the father of the fathers of the eldest race of dwarves, the Longbeards. And my first an- ancestor. I am his heir. Then what is Doran's day? Sa- asked Elrond. The first day of the dwarves' new year. It is all Shano is. Sorry. Just check it. I gotta check how long. With... Oh, wow. We only have like a page left. Alright. Is as all know the first day of the last moon of autumn? on the threshold of winter we still call it durin's day when the last moon of autumn and the sun are in the sky together but this will not help us much i fear for it passes our skill in these days to guess when such a time will come again that remains to be seen said gandalf is there any more writing none to be seen by this moon said elrond and he gave the map back to thorin And then they went down to the water to see the elves dance and sing upon the midsummer's eve. The next morning was a midsummer's morning as fair and fresh as could be dreamed. Blue sky and never a cloud, and the sun dancing on the water. Now they rode away amid songs of farewell and good speed, with their hearts ready for more adventure, and with a knowledge of the road they must follow over the misty mountains to the land beyond. So that's the end of chapter three. I'm gonna see how long chapter four is, and I might read it. Um see I think I could read this, yeah. I'm going to read it. Chapter 4. Overhill and Underhill. There were many paths that led into these mountains, and many passes over them. But most of the paths were cheats and deceptions, and led nowhere or to bad ends, and most of the passes were infested by evil things and dreadful dangers. The dwarves and the hobbit Helped by the wise advice of Elrond and the knowledge and memory of Gandalf, took the right road and the right path. Long days after they had climbed out of the valley and left, their last homely house miles behind, they were still going up and up and up. It was a dark and it was a hard path and a dangerous path, a crooked way and a lonely and a long. Now they could look back over the lands they had left laid out behind them far below far far away in the west where things were blue and faint Bilbo knew there lay his own country of safe and comfortable things and his little hobbit hole he shivered it was getting bitter cold up here and this wind came shrill among the rocks boulders too at times came galloping down the mountain sides let loose by midday sun upon the snow and passed among them, which was lucky, or over the heads, which was alarming. The nights were comfortless and chill, and they did not dare to sing or to talk too loud, for the echoes were uncanny, and the silence seemed to dislike being broken, except by the noise of water and the wail of wind and the crack of stone. The summer is getting on down below, thought Bilbo, and haymaking is going on and picnics. They will, they will be harvesting and blackberrying before we even go, begin to go down the other side at this rate. And the others were thinking equally gloomy thoughts, although when they had said goodbye to Elrond in the high hope of a midsummer morning, they had spoken gaily of the passage of the mountains, and of riding swift across the lands beyond. They had thought of coming to the secret door on the lonely mountain, perhaps that very next last moon of autumn, and perhaps it will be Durin's day, they had said. Only Gandalf had shaken his head and said nothing. Dwarves had not passed that way for many years, but Gandalf had, and he knew how evil and danger had grown and thriven in the wild, since the dragons had driven men from the lands and the goblins had spread in secret after the Battle of the Mines of Moria. Even the good plans of wise wizards like Gandalf, and of good friends like Elrond, can go astray, sometimes when you are off on dangerous adventures over the edge of the wild, and Gandalf was a wise enough wizard to know it. Sorry, I got a bit of stuff. Alright. He knew that something unexpected might happen, and he hardly do- dared to hope that they would pass Without fearful adventure over those great tall mountains, with lonely peaks and valleys where no king ruled, they did not. All went well, until one day they met a thunderstorm. More than a thunderstorm, a thunder battle. You know how terrific a really big thunderstorm can be down in the land and in a river valley, especially at times when two great thunderstorms meet and clash. More terrible still are thunder and lightning in the mountains at night, when storms come up from east and west and sh- make war. The lightning splinters on the peaks, and rocks shiver, and great crashes split the air and go rolling and tumbling into every cave and hollow, and the darkness is filled with overwhelmingly noise and sudden light. Bilbo had never seen or imagined anything of the t- kind. They were hot. Hu- High up in a narrow place, with a dreadful fall into a dim valley at one side of them. There they were sheltering under a hanging rock for the night, and he lay beneath a blanket and shook from head to to toe. (laughs) Sorry when he peeped out in the lightning flashes he saw that across the valley the stone giants were out and they were hurling rocks at another for a game and cr- catching them and tossing them down into the darkness where they smashed among the trees far below or splintered into little bits with a bang there came a wind and a rain and the wind rip- whipped the rain and the hail came about in every direction so that an Overhanging rock was no protection at all. Soon they were getting drenched, and their ponies were standing with their heads down and their tails between their legs, and some of them were whinnying with fright. They could hear the giants guffawing and shouting all over the mountainsides. This won't do at all, said Thorn. If we don't get blown off, or drowned, or struck by lightning, we shall be picked up by some giant and kicked sky high for a football. Well, if you know of anywhere better, take us there, said Gandalf, who was feeling very grumpy and was far from happy about the giants himself. The end of their argument was that they sent Fili and Keely to look for a better shelter. They had very sharp eyes, and being the youngest of the dwarves, by some 50 years, they usually got these sort of jobs, when everybody could see that there was absolutely no use sending Bilbo. There is nothing like looking if you want to find something, or so Thorne said to the young dwarves. You sure, certainly usually find something if you look, but it's not always quite the something that you were after. So it proved on this occasion. Soon, Fili and Kili came crawling back, holding on to the rocks in the wind. We have found a dry cave, they said, not far around the next corner, and ponies and all could get inside. Have you thoroughly explored it, said the wizard, who knew that caves up in the mountains were seldom unoccupied. Yes, yes, they said, though everybody knew they could not have been along about it, if they have come so back so quick. It isn't all that big, and it does not go far back. That, of course, is the dangerous part about caves. You don't know how far back they go, sometimes, or where a passage behind may lead to, was waiting for you inside but now feely and keely's news seemed good enough so they all got up and prepared to move the wind was howling and the thunder still growling and they had a business getting themselves and their pony getting along still it was not very far to go and before long they came to a big rock standing out into the path if you stepped behind you found a low arch in the side of the mountain there was just room enough to get the ponies through with a squeeze When they had been unpacked and unsaddled. As they passed under this arch, it was good to hear the wind and the rain outside instead of all around them. (sighs) Sorry. And to feel safe from the giants and their rocks. But the wizard was taking no risks. He lit up his wand as he did that day in Bilbo's dining room that seems so long ago, if you remember. And by its light, they explored the cave from end to end. It seemed quite a fair size, but not too large and mysterious. It had a dry floor and some comfortable nooks. At one end, there was room for the ponies, and there they stood, mighty glad of the change, steaming and champing in their nose bags. Oin and Gloin wanted to light a fire at the door to dry their clothes, but Gandalf would not hear of it, so they spread out their wet things on the floor and got dry ones out of their bundles, and then they, ma- and then they made their blankets comfortable, got out their pipes, and blue smoke rings, which Gandalf turned to different colors and sat dancing up by the roof to amuse them. They talked and talked and forgot about the storm and discussed what each would do sorry my speaker fell down All right. and discussed what each would do with their share of the treasure um. when they got it which at the moment did not seem so impossible and so they dropped off to sleep one by one and that was the last time that they used the ponies, packages back packages in- baggages, tools, and paraphernalia that they had brought with them. It turned out a good thing that night that they had brought Bil- little Bilbo with them, after all, for somehow he did- could not go to sleep for a long while, and when he did sleep, he had very nasty dreams. He dreamed that a crack in the wall had- it- at the back of the cave got bigger and bigger and opened wider and wider, and he was very afraid but could not call out or do anything but lie and look. Then he dreamed that the floor of the cave was giving way, and he was slipping, beginning to fall down, 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 goodness knows where to. After that, he woke up with a horrible start, and found that the part of his dream was true. A crack had opened up at the back of the cave, and already was a wide passage. He was just in time to see the last of the pony's tails disappearing into it. Of course, he gave a very loud yell as loud a yell as a hobbit can give, which is surprising for their side. Out jumped the goblins, big goblins, great ugly looking goblins, lots of goblins, before you could say rocks and blocks. They were six to each dwarf at least, and two even for Bilbo, and they were all grabbed and carried through the crack, before you could say tinder and Flint, but not Gandalf. Bilbo's yell had done that much good. It awakened him up in a splintering stanket. When I'm so sorry, Bilbo's yell had done that much good. It awakened him up wide in a splintered second. And when goblins came to grab him, there was a terrific, a terrific flash like lightning in the cave. A smell of gunpowder, and several of them fell dead. The crack closed with a snap. And Bilbo and the dwarves were on the wrong side of it. Where was Gandalf? Of that neither the goblins, they nor the goblins had any idea, and the goblins did not wait to find out. They seized Bilbo and the dwarves and hurried them along. It was deep, deep and dark, such as only goblins that had taken to living in the heart of the mountains can see through. The passages there were crossed and tangled in all directions, but the goblins knew their way as well as you do to the nearest post office. And the way went down and down, and it was most horribly stuffy. The goblins were very rough and pinched unmercifully, unmerci- <laughs> <say> unmercilessly <laughs> and c- chuckled and laughed in their rough, horrible, stony voices. And Bilbo was getting more unhappy even than when the troll had picked him up by his toes. He wished again and again for his what nice bright hobbit hole. Not for the last time. Now there came a glimmer of a red light before them. The goblins began to sing or croak, keeping time with the flap of their flat fleet on the stone, and shaking their prisoners as well. Clap! Snap! The Black Crack. Grip. Grab. Pinch. Nab. And down. Down to goblin town you go, my lad. (laughs) Clash. Crash. Crush. Smash. Hammer and tongs. Knocker and gongs. Pound. Pound. For underground. Ho ho, my lad. Swish. Smack. Whip. Crack. Batter and beat. Yammer and bleat. Work. Work. Nor dare to shirk. While goblins quaff and goblins laugh round and round, far underground, below, my lad. It sounded truly terrifying. The walls echoed to the clap, snap, and the crush, smash, and to the ugly laughter of their, ho ho, my lad. The general meaning of the song was only too plain. For now, the goblins took out whips and whipped them with a swish smack and set them running as fast as they could in front of them. And more than one of the dwarves were already yammering and bleeding like anything when they stumbled into a big cavern. It was lit by a great red fire in the middle, and by torches along the walls, and it was full of goblins. They all laughed and stamped and clapped their hands when the dwarves, with poor little Bilbo at the back and nearest to the whips, came running in while the goblin drivers whooped and cracked their whips behind. The ponies were already there, huddled in a corner, and there were all the baggages and packages lying broken open and being rummaged by goblins and smelt by goblins and fingered by goblins and quarreled over by goblins. I'm afraid that was the last they ever saw of those excellent little ponies, including a jolly little sturdy white fellow that that Elrond had lent to Gandalf since his horse was not suitable for the mountain paths. Full goblins eat horses and ponies and, the, and donkeys and mu- other much more dreadful things, and they are always hungry. Just now, however, the prisoners were thinking only of themselves. The goblins chained their hands behind their backs and linked them all together in a line and dragged them down to the far end of the cavern with little Bilbo tugging at the end of the row. There in the shadows, on a large, flat stone, sat a tremendous goblin with a huge head, and armed goblins were standing around him, carrying the axes and the bent swords which they use. Now goblins are cruel, wicked, and bad-hearted. They make no beautiful things, but they make many clever ones. They can tunnel a mine as well as any but the most skilled dwarves, but, and when they trick to trouble. They are, they are usually untidy and dirty hammers axes swords staggers pickaxes tongs and also instruments of torture they make very well or get other people to make them to their design prisoners and slaves that have to work till they die for want of air and light it is not unlikely that they invented some of the Machines that have since troubled the world, especially the ingenious devices for killing large numbers of people at once, for wheels and engines and explosions, always delighted them, and also not working with their own hands more than they could help. But in those days and those wild parts, they had not advanced, as it is called, so far. They did not hate dwarves especially, no more than they hated everything and everybody, especially and particularly the orderly and prosperous in some parts wicked dwarves had even made alliances with them, but they had a special grudge against thorns people because of the war which you have heard mentioned but which does not come into this tale and anyway goblins don't care what they catch as long as it is done smart and secret and the prisoners are not able to defend themselves "'Who are these miserable persons?' said the Great Goblin. "'Dwarves, and this,' said one of the drivers, pulling at Bilbo's chain so that he fell forward onto his knees. "'We found them sheltering in our front porch.' "'What do you mean by it?' said the Great Goblin, turning to Thorn, "'Up to no good, i warrant. Spying on the private business of my people, I guess. "'Thieves, I should not be surprised to learn. "'Murders and friends of elves, not unlikely. "'Come, what have you got to say?' "'Thorn the Dwarf at your service,' he replied. "'It was merely a polite nothing. "'Of the things which you suspect and imagine, we had no idea at all. "'We sheltered from a storm in what seemed a convenient cave and unused. "'Nothing was further from our thoughts than inconveniencing goblins in any way whatsoever.' That was true enough. Um, so the great great goblin, so you say, may I ask what you were doing up in the mountains at all, and where you were coming from, and where you were going to? In fact, I should like to know all about you, not that I will do you any much good, Thorn Oakenshield. I know too much about your folk already, but let's have the truth or I will prepare something particularly nasty for you. We were on a journey to visit our relatives, our nephews and nieces and first and second and third cousins and the other descendants of our grandfathers, who live on the east side of these truly hospitable mountains, said Thorne, not quite knowing what to say all at once in a moment, when obviously the exact truth would not do at all. I'm just checking how many pages we have left. Okay. Two pages. Alright. He is a liar, oh truly tremendous one, said one of the drivers. Several of our people were struck by lightning in the cave when we invited these creatures to come below, and they are dead as stones. Also, he has not explained this. He held out the sword which thorn had worn the sword which came from the trolls lair the great goblin gave a truly awful howl of rage when he looked at it and all his soldiers get, gnashed their teeth clashed their swords and stepped they knew the sword at once it had killed hundreds of goblins in its time when the fair elves of gondolin hunted them down in the hills or to battle before their walls they called it Orcrist. Goblin cleaver. But the goblins simply called it Biter. They hated it and hated worse anyone that carried it. Murderers and elf friends, the great goblins sh- shouted. Slash them, beat them, bite them, gnash them, take them far away to dark holes full of snakes, and never let them see the light again. He was in such a rage that he jumped off his seat and rushed himself at Thorn with his mouth open. Just at that moment, all the lights in the cavern went out, and the great fire went off, poof, into a shower of blue glowing smoke right up to the roof that scattered piercing white sparks all among the goblins. The yells, yammering, croaking, gibbering, jabbering, howls, growls, and curses, shrieking and striking that followed were beyond description. Several hundred wild cats and wolves being slowly roasted alive together would not have compared with it. The sparks were burning holes in the goblins, and the smoke that now fell from the roof made the air too thick for even their eyes to see through. Soon they were falling over another and rolling in heaps on the floor, biting and kicking and fighting as if they had all gone mad. Suddenly a sword flashed in its own light. Bilbo saw it go right through the great goblin eyes as he stood dumbfounded in the middle of his rage. He fell dead, and the goblin soldiers fled before the sword, shrieking into the darkness. The sword went back into its sheath. Follow me quick, said a voice fierce and quiet, and before Bilbo understood what had happened, he was trotting along again, as fast as he could trot, at the end of the line, going down more dark passages with the yells of the goblin hall, growing fainter behind him. A pale light was leading them on. Quicker, quicker, said the voice. The torches will be soon relit. Half a minute, said Dory, who was at the back next to Bilbo, and a decent fellow. He made the hobbit scramble on his shoulders as best he could with his untied hands and off they all went at a run with a clink clink of chains and many a stumble since they had no hands to steady themselves with. Not for a long while did they stop and by that time they must have been right down into the very mountain's heart. Then Gandalf lit up his wand. Of course it was Gandalf. But... Just then, they were too busy to ask how he got there. He took out his sword again, and again it flashed in the dark by itself. It burned with a rage that made a gleam of goblins were about. Now it was bright a blue flame for delight in killing the great lord of the cave. It made no trouble whatsoever of cutting through the goblin chains and setting all the prisoners free as quickly as possible. The sword's name was Glamdring, the hammer. If you remember, the goblins just called it beater, and hated it worse than biter, if possible. Orcris, too, had been saved, for Gandalf had brought it along as well, snatching it from one of the terrified guards. Gandalf thought of most things, and though he could not do everything, he could do a great deal for friends in a tight corner. Are we all here, he said, handing his sword back to Thorn with a With a bow, let me see, one, that's thorn, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, where are Feely and Keely? Here they are, twelve, thirteen, and here's Mr. Baggins, fourteen. Well, well, it might be worse, and then again, it might be a great deal better. No ponies, no food, and not knowing quite where we are, and hordes of angry goblins just behind. On we go. On they went. Gandalf was quite right. They began to hear goblin noises and horrible cries far behind in the passages they had come through. That sent them on faster than ever, and poor Bilbo could not go- possibly go half as fast, for, bil- for dwarves can roll along at a tremendous pace, I can tell you, when they have to. So they took it in turn to carry it on or- him on their backs. Still, goblins go faster than dwarves, and these goblins know the way better. For they had made them pass themselves, and were madly angry. And s- that, <sighs> so, sorry. so that do what they could. I don't understand Albert. The dwarves heard the cries and howls getting closer and closer. Soon they could hear even a flap of goblin feet—many, many, many feet—which seemed only round the last corner. The blink of red torches could be seen behind them in the tunnel they were following and they were getting deadly tired. Why, oh, why did I ever leave my hobbit hole, said poor Mr. Baggins, bumping up and down on Bomber's back. Why, oh, why did I ever bring a wretched little hobbit on a treasure hunt, said poor Bomber, who was fat and staggered along with the sweat dripping down his nose and his heat and terror. At this point, Gandalf fell behind and thorn with him, they sh- turned a shout- sharp turner. About turn, he shouted. Draw your sword, thorn. thorn. There was nothing else to be done, and the goblins did not like it. They can- came scurrying around the corner and full cry, and they found goblin cre- cleaver and foe hammer shining cold and bright right in their astonished eyes. The ones in front dropped their torches and gave one yell before they were killed. The words behind yelled still more and leaped back knocking them over those that were running after them. Biter and beater!" they shrieked and soon they were all in confusion and most of them were hustling back the way they had come. It was quite a long while before any of them dared to turn that corner. By that time, the dwarves had gone on again a long, long way way on into the dark tunnels of the goblins' realm. When the goblins discovered that They put out their torches and they slipped on soft shoes and they chose out their very quickest runners with the sharpest eyes and ears and eyes. These ran forward as swift as weasels in the dark and with hardly any more noise than bats. That is why neither neither Bilbo nor the dwarves, not even Gandalf, heard them coming, nor did they see them but they were seen by the goblins that ran silently up, up behind, for Gandalf was letting his wand give along, out a faint light to help the dwarves as they went along. Quite suddenly, Dory, now at the back again, carrying Bilbo, was grabbed from behind in the dark. He shouted and fell, and the hobbit rolled off his shoulders into blackness, bumped his head on hard rock, and remembered nothing more. That is the end of chapter four. Again, I'm so sorry if my pronunciation isn't the best. I am still working on it. And I will definitely do that, uh, do better in the future. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Bye.